0: walk sports as they report back and forth from their home court. They talk the sports if you're not sure. They talk of sports and then talk more about all sports. East, West, South, North. Ryan talk Sports. Andrew retorts and will here as they both sort through all the sports. They both support the Walk-ons. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk-ons podcast. Yes, we are officially back. You thought you could have killed us, but no, we're back for season two after a brief two and a half to three month hiatus i was on a lot of vacations andrew was working on a new show lord knows what Seamus was doing but he's he's always back there but it feels good to be back andrew and and i just want to get right into it because we got a ton of stuff to cover today and i really just got to say the nba is so confusing it makes absolutely no sense and i'm of course not talking about any of the four matchups going on right now i'm talking about the scheduling and what i mean by that andrew i woke up this morning just feeling good it's a friday i'm not hungover we got past that May the 4th be with you bullshit Cinco de Mayo. I don't have a te- tequila hangover. It's fucking fantastic. I'm thinking I'm going to get an appetizer of Buck Celtics, Jason Tatum, Giannis. It's going to be great. And then I'm going to wrap up my night with, well, by ignoring my wife one and then two watching G- golden state Memphis. And then here I am looking at the fucking schedule and no, no, we're getting Philadelphia, Miami again. And we're getting Suns Mavs again. They just played. So my question to you, Andrew, is what what's the deal with the scheduling here? Because not only are, is it weird, I mean, the Golden State, Memphis, and the Celtics, my, Milwaukee, were the first ones to kick off in the series. And the next thing you know, you're flipping this off. And yesterday, we didn't even have games. I mean, no Cinco de Mayo, no Cinco de Drinco watching NBA. It's like the perfect setup. And yet, they go gameless. And now you're giving me Miami, Philadelphia again. What What's the deal?
1: Yeah, no, there's no logical explanation. And the only thing I can think of is like, if the TV network saying, you want to flip-flop the game so that there's, like, the two primetime series are on the same day. Because, like, any NBA fan, I'm sorry if you're a Sixers fan, a Dallas fan, like, we all know the end result of those <laughs> yeah. series. Yeah, Miami's going to win. Phoenix is going to win. And it's just a foregone conclusion. So maybe they're just like, let's hammer home Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, and Memphis on the same day, which also doesn't really make sense because wouldn't you want, like, one on each day so there's, like, the draw? The, the scheduling, there's no really logical reasoning that I can make sense of, especially when you consider, like, you know, like you're Miami, you're Dallas, you're Phoenix, and you're Philly. You, you play, and then you get a day off, and then you play again. Whereas Memphis, Golden, all those teams since you had like four days off now. Yeah, like it,
0: it feels like it feels like they played like Golden State, Memphis played last month. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And I'm not going to give the NBA that kind of credit to say, oh yeah, they were picking the two marquee series because I think they released the schedule before the round starts. I have no idea. All I know is that the NBA playoffs are long enough. As it is it's already a season within a season you better not be missing a single day even if you're playing one game don't don't do that kind of bullshit to me so i'm a little salty today i I was hoping to watch steph curry cook tonight at home uh but i guess i'm gonna have to wait one more day and i'm gonna have to watch the sixers on their way to get swept although quick score update it looks like that Embiid is back so great wearing the black mask maybe it'll make it a little more interesting they're up five right now 37 32 a couple minutes ago in the second but i mean let's talk about this series andrew philadelphia Playoff Philadelphia doing what playoff Philadelphia does and crap out in the postseason. Yes, make the case that Joel Embiid would miss the first two games. Fine, say whatever you want. But Philly's not winning this series. Miami's much better team, even with Joel Embiid in the lineup. And James Harden, I mean, whatever that, t- whatever that guy touches turns to shit. That's just what James Harden does. I mean, <laughs> probably my favorite visual so far from the playoffs, Andrew, was game one when Tyrese Maxey and James Harden came off the floor at the same time. Harden tried to sit next to Maxie and Maxie kept getting up and moving. He was so frustrated and so done with Harden's antics. He couldn't even be close to him. Harden was like the little brother that just fucking follows you around all the time and just like poking you and wants to hang out with you and your friends. And Tyrese Maxie's just like, no, nah, dude, get the hell out of here. And I absolutely love that. You got a third year guy who's still trying to make his way on that team. And you got this perennial, I guess, stat stuffer in Harden. And Maxie's the guy who's like, dude, just get off my nuts, please go away. I'm, sorry, I'm sure they can't wait to get rid of them.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, what's what's tough is, is like we're talking about a series where we know the foregone conclusion Miami's going to win, and we're not even talking about Miami. They're the number yeah. one seed in the East. I don't know if we all think they're actually the best team in the East, but they're still the number one seed. And the, the narrative has nothing to do with this team that's clearly going to win in four or five games. It's all about Philly. It's all about James Harden. It's about even Ben Simmons is still being talked about. It's like neither team – one, that blockbuster trade, they both kind of shot themselves in the foot in a lot of ways. And then also too, like we have this thing with Embiid and is he going to come back? Is he wearing the mask? It's just, you know, and you throw in the Doc Rivers aspect of it too, where he's, you know, a week ago he's complaining how like everyone gets on him for blowing three, three, one series leads and they weren't his fault. There's discussion. Is he even going to be the coach next year? It's a mess. It's just an absolute mess. And you love to see it because what other fan bases and teams are you happy to see blow up in flames than the 76ers, Literally. but it's still at the end of the day, it's, it kind of says so much that like Miami, is it poised a, a team in a big glamor market that has success is poised to be in the Eastern conference finals. And we're just not even talking about them.
0: Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy, right? I mean, you go back to the LeBron days in Miami. I mean, they were the hottest ticket in town for good reason. And But, I mean, South Beach, like, that's it, that should kind of just be naturally, like, we want to talk about the Heat, right? I mean, they're a fantastic team. They're the number one seed in the East. You mentioned – I still think – I think they're – I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens when they play Boston or Milwaukee in the next round. Then we're really going to find out. But you're right. I mean, the fact that we don't talk about them, but that's, I think it's a testament to the kind of guys they have on their team. Obviously, it starts from Coach Spo. You got guys like Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, Tucker. I mean, these are all guys that just put their head down and they go to work, right? They play defense which it seems to be harder and harder to come by in the NBA these days. They just keep their mouth shut. They put up their numbers, they get their W's and then they go home. Uh, I mean, you know, say what you will about that. I respect the hell out of it, but you're right. I mean, this entire series, we should be talking about Miami. Instead we're talking about Philadelphia. And on that, on that subject, you mentioned doc rivers. I was thinking about this the other day, like he's got to be, one of the worst coaches in the NBA right now. I mean, talk about a guy who just continues to fail upward. Yes, he won a title where he basically got dragged there by Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and a little bit of Ray Allen. I'll give him that too. But I mean, failed with a great roster in LA with the Clippers, continues to fail with great rosters in Philadelphia. Like I I like the guy. I mean, it's hard to listen to his like raspy voice. So sounds like he's been smoking like two, three packs of heaters a day. But my God, dude, like at some point, you got to wear that a little bit as a head coach, right? Like, Hey, you know what? I failed. Right. You can't just keep going like, wow, wasn't my fault. Wasn't my fault. It was on the players. You know, they just didn't show that kind of, you're the head coach, dude. Like you got to figure it out. And for me, like doc rivers, I, I could not, I would not be able to, I can't be cajoled if he is the head coach of, either the Sixers or somebody else next year because you feel like even if he gets let go by the Sixers like the fucking Kings or somebody stupid's gonna go oh yeah let's throw a bunch of money at him to come fail over here it just makes
1: no sense to me yeah no no one's made more out of less than Doc Rivers in the sense of like if you were a casual fan and you just knew his name and you knew that he gets talked about a lot you would have thought this guy's one of the, the perennial That's top five coaches of all time he's won one title He's had more series collapses than just about any coach in the NBA with multiple organizations. So, you know, like there's one factor that's been present in each situation it's him. And then two, like he has these sound bites where he's complaining how it was the roster's fault that, that, that blew it. And and it's just, there's, there's always an excuse with him and some it's good marketing on his part to somehow have his name seem like it's, it's, it's got more value to it than it actually does. But like you got like Rick Carlisle won a championship. We never talked about that guy. You know, the, the Mavericks team to beat the Heat. Spo has won two titles. We never talk about him in the same way that we talk about Doc Rivers. It just, it, it, it's just, it's good on him for making his name have more name brand recognition than it should. But yeah, it, it's kind of, you know, when you really sit down and look at the facts, you're like, why is it again that, like, Doc Rivers is such a big name in this league? And, like, why do we not talk more about how, like, he shouldn't be the head coach of, of one of these premier teams in the NBA?
0: No, he seems to have absolutely no business there. And that's, you hit it, Andrew. Like at some point when there's multiple failures across multiple years, across multiple locations and franchises, there's usually one constant that you can point to. And in this case, that constant is Doc Rivers. So Godspeed, Doc. I, You're going to get swept or at least lose in five games. And if you hold on to your job, good for you. If you get fired and find another job, then that, that's shame on whoever you hires you. But let's move on to the other uh, game tonight. We got Suns-Mavs. Um, look, I like the mass. I love Luka Doncic. It's, it still amazes me to watch him out there. I don't know like, if like, you have to think back, like to when you were a kid, you had to run a mile in school or something. You had to like go and play pickup or something. Some days you just don't have it. Like your legs feel like they're 200 pounds. You're running through sand. That's what Luka looks like at all times. And from an offensive standpoint, yeah, it works for him. Cause he just, he knows where he's going. He uses, utilizes, Sort of body movement and like quick twitch sort of things just to get free and you know obviously a great shooter but it certainly is not helping him on the defensive end. Now you want to talk about Doc Rivers maybe being one of the worst coaches in the league? Luca might be seriously top top ten worst defenders in the league because the Suns were picking on him all night long. I I remember this myself actually. So I, for game two I was ordering DoorDash as one does because I didn't want to go out and miss the games. My DoorDash driver, as and this is sort of indicative of the Suns uh, fan base as a whole. He's like, oh, man, I don't know. Like, Luca's so tough to stop. I don't know. And I just I told him, I was like, don't worry, man. They're going to pick on him on defense in the fourth quarter. Chris Paul is going to take the game over, and, that, and that's going to be all it. Of course, I had no idea what the hell I was talking about. I was just throwing names out there, but that's exactly what happened. And for me, like, you cannot be a star in this league. I don't care if you put up 40, if you're one of the youngest guys to put up 40 in multiple games, 40, 10, and 10 you can't play defense in the playoffs you're going to get exposed your team's going to lose and you're going to look like a goat not the good kind of goat
1: yeah no absolutely I mean, you score 40 points but you give up 28 on the other end that's 12 points <laughs> yeah that's, you, that's you, nothing you contributed 12 points and you know it's it's kind of nice that like i feel like luke has been one of those players we just kind of looked at and said like oh yeah he's top five potentially like you know top 10 player and we just kind of say like miss guy's amazing he's the face of the league And then we're like, oh, yeah, but he, like, doesn't do anything in one half of the entire game because he doesn't play defense. Yeah. Or he shows
0: up out of shape or he gets hurt.
1: Yeah, I don't want to take away his actual capabilities on the offensive end because they're, they're, you know, they're awesome. He really is a talent that you just – doesn't come around every day. But, you know, I think this year is kind of the year for him, at least I hope for him, is the year where he realizes I need to take the offseason seriously. I need to come back in shape and not just, like, not put on more weight but like actively lose some of the weight that he's playing with. Because if he ever really had the mindset of a player that was like, I'm going to attack the off season and and really focus all of my energy on being the best of my capabilities. It's terrifying. He's legitimately a terrifying notion. Um, And then too, like that will also help on the defensive end because he's just so slow. You know, if he's 10 to 15 pounds lighter, I mean, he's not going to suddenly turn into Marcus Smart, but he's going to be a much more capable defender staying in front of people and, you know, I think this is kind of the first off season or the first moment I've, I've noticed where Luca is getting criticism and, you know, hopefully he just turns it into something constructive. The other thing I have to say is I, I do want to give the Mavericks a lot of credit though, because I feel like that's a team in the last couple of years that has had one really good player, but you just never really quite took them seriously. And then they, they want to play off series this year, which is a big first step. And they're kind of that team. Like if they can find a way to get a second star on that team that compliments Luca, whether it's you know another kind of offensive scoring guard you mean like, like Donovan Mitchell. Oh, well, a guard i guess yeah or you know and you could double down on kind of the defensive mindset that jason kids brought you know I, I don't like rudy gobert i think he's kind of you know does some stuff that's really annoying but i wouldn't hate to see that pairing with with, with dallas especially because utah is clearly about to blow things up so yeah and, and i'm sure there's there's going to be stars that we don't even know about yet that went out and, But I think there's something intriguing if you're a, you know, a second star with Dallas, I think that's a team that like seems to be building in the right direction. And, you know, I wouldn't take lightly if I was another team in the Western conference.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you know, we, we poo poo a a little bit of what Luke has been doing on the defensive end, but I mean, when your second best player is Jalen Brunson and, and no disrespect to Jalen Brunson, he's going to make himself a lot of money as a free agent this year. But when the second, when your second best player is a 5'11 guard, you know, who can maybe get a few points, like, that's bad. That's, you really shouldn't even be here. And Lucas definitely dragged them to where they are now, but you know, and maybe this is a veteran move on Lucas part, right? Because maybe they go, they go out in four or five games here against the, against Phoenix. He goes in the off season, basically say like, you're that person who's like, well, you know, I, I haven't even peaked yet. Right. Like, look at me. I always show up fat. I'm too slow. I don't seem to care. I don't play defense. I get hurt. Just wait until I actually start to turn it on. Right. He's only 22, 23 years old you know he's got he's got that to hang his hat on like well you haven't seen the best of me yet and I, I hope that's true because I I love his swagger I love watching him play the dude is just he's poetry in motion even if it is slow motion it just makes no sense to me but I, I respect it but at some point if you want to be a star in this league and you want to win a championship you better figure out how to play some defense so throw some like shuffle drills in there some hands drills do a little something I, I don't care if he works on his body I mean he should hopefully it doesn't show up out of shape again but Work on your defense, man. You just, you have to. That's what the playoffs are all about. And I know the NBA has become this offensive game, but if you want to win a title at some, I mean, look at the Celtics. We're going to talk about them in a little, in a little bit, but the Celtics D up, Miami D's up. Yeah, those are Eastern Conference teams, but yeah. Golden State, Memphis D's up when they have to. You have to fucking do that. And if you're not going to do that, you're not going to win. So it's simple. You can put, you can be a stack guy all your career and never win anything. And I hope that's not where Luke ends up because I think he's very interesting. But on the other side of that coin, I just want to give... a lot of credit to the Suns I mean they are highly talented obviously Booker's kind of been out but I mean CP3 man that guy is just he's been one of my favorite players forever he's the same kind of guy like Draymond you absolutely hate him when you play against him you love him when he's on your team he took over in the fourth quarter I'm just hoping it's not another one of these years where Chris Paul is hot and then at some point he you know gets tripped falls and then he's out for the for the rest of the series, the rest of the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it seems like that's what you're going to get every single year from Chris Paul. So I hope we don't see that again, because I I really do think this, this could be the sun's year. And I I say that even with hoping they're going to play golden state in the, in the Western conference finals.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, he's one of those players that like, it's, it it really is kind of shocking that he has, has yet to win a title. And it's kind of one of those that if, if he won one, I think the league as a whole would be actually really excited about it. Cause you always love it when you have these, you know, one once in a generation players, you know, really kind of get that that accomplishment that really justifies it and kind of ends those debates of like, oh, all these stars without a title. You know, it just feels right that Chris Paul would have at least one title. And, you know, he's been doing it for so long and he's still doing it at such a high level. You know, he is one of those players, and, and Draymond the same way, like he he's a player that gets under your skin, but you have nothing but the utmost respect for the guy and the way that he plays and his basketball IQ. So he's one of those players that, yeah, you're like, when my team's playing them, I, I hate it, but you have to, you know, give the guys respect when it's due. Um, yeah, that's
0: what it is. I, the IQ level is just so high with Chris Paul and, and Draymond, too. But, I mean, Chris Paul just knows how to get under your skin. He knows how to work it at every single angle of every single play. He knows how to do it for the benefit of his team. So, I, I got nothing but respect for CP3. I just hope we can see him actually last through the playoffs. Um, all right, let's flip to the other games. We'll go Celtics, Bucks tied one-to-one. I love this series. I mean, this series is awesome. We talked about the Celtics. This team d's up. They got two stars, you know, in, in Brown and Tatum. Uh, I mean, this is a team you gotta love. But again, you're going up against the MVP, two-time MVP, the defending champs, the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, this is this is about as good as it gets. This is great basketball. I mean, I certainly think you know Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals is going to present a challenge to whoever wins this series. But this is kind of one of those classic, like, man, this is this is the Eastern conference championship before the Eastern conference championship. These two teams are so good. So evenly matched. And it's been a blast to watch.
1: Yeah, no, this is our Brooklyn Milwaukee series from last season where, you know, it's just headed to a game seven where it just the, the shenanigans are going to happen. It's going to, you know, be one of those finishes in the last couple minutes of that game where it's just going to be epic and it's going to be all leading up to these, you know, these last five minutes of game seven, that's going to determine everything. And yeah, the team that wins this is is, is going to have gone through something extremely difficult extremely challenging and it's the type of playoff test that you typically have to go through on your way to a championship and you know miami's going to be waiting for them, having gone through much less of a gauntlet with home court advantage which is always great when you're a team like boston or milwaukee that's just gone through you know a, a 12 ring or a, a 12 round match like you your your championship tested now literally the bucks you know which won the title last year and then the celtics if they can take out the champs in the second round they're feeling really good about themselves and so This really feels like this is the marquee series of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And, you know, it it really does feel like whoever wins this is kind of your favorite to win the Eastern Conference. And that's always fun. And, you know, I think we're all we're all I know Seamus isn't, but we're all rooting for a seven game series that just is super entertaining and kind of gets the most out of it.
0: Yeah, I'm ready to just fast forward to game seven, but I mean, actually, no, I'm not because I want, I know, like you, I think this is going seven, but every single game along the way is is so juicy and so fun. So, yeah, I take that back. I don't want to fast forward it, but I just know, I know that game seven is going to be freaking awesome and that's where it's going. But yeah, I mean, look, it, just to give the Celtics more dap, like in this off season, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff not going right for them, right? There was a little bit of turmoil within the organization. Brad Stevens stepped away from the head coaching job which I kind of questioned I didn't really think that they were going to find somebody better but I got to give a lot of credit to Ima Yudoka I mean that guy knows how to relate to players he knows how to run schemes um, he knows how to get the best out of his guys and you know they've drafted mean, you got a guy like Peyton Pritchard who watching him at Oregon it's like yeah he's interesting he's tough but he's not going to play in the NBA and not only is he playing in the NBA he's A huge factor for a team who's contending for a championship. I mean, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, these kind of guys are like, I feel like with other organizations, those guys are just going to go away and you're going to see them playing in Europe or Australia in two or three years. But with the Celtics, I mean, these guys are real, real players and they're really moving the needle forward for this team that has championship aspirations. It's it's been really impressive what they've done from what seems like, you know, it's it seemed in the offseason last year like it was actually gonna, gonna implode. And one other beautiful note is they also stole Emile udoka from the Nets, which I, I love even more. It's fucking great.
1: Yeah, no, the the Celtics for like the first time in a long time feels like a team that's actually kind of fun to root for. If you're not a fan yeah. of the team, which you can't ever say the case for most of the Boston sports teams, it's you know typically like all right, if Boston's in it, we're rooting against them. But there's they've kind of like earned that respect where like you said because they started off so poorly because they really fought and you know, clawed their way into the position that they're in. And because like, yeah, they have Jason Tatum was a star. And Jalen Brown is a star. It really does feel like it's a team effort every single night. It really feels like they're getting contributions from everybody. And it's a hard-nosed team. That's like doing it the right way. So even though it's the Celtics who are one of the premier franchises in the whole league, you know, I don't quite look at them the same way you would, you know, cause you're like, I just have to respect what this team's doing. And there's a reason why they're in the position, the position they're in as a team that could definitely win the title this year.
0: Yeah, 100%. And you know, look, on the other side of the coin too, I give a lot of credit to the Bucks too. It's it's funny how a year can change things, right? Last year was like, can Giannis do it? Can he like drag can he drag Milwaukee to a title? They were those underdogs and now it's like, well, you know, we're just we're giving dap to whoever's playing them. It's like Milwaukee's just kind of an afterthought, but I mean, Milwaukee's a real team. They're going to give the Celtics all they can possibly handle. Nobody can stop Giannis. I mean, Giannis, what is he? Like 30, 11 and 6. I mean, it, 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 just an unstoppable force. Once he gets into the lane, like that's one of the things too, is like when a guy, yeah, he's he's developed his three point game a little bit. He's gotten better, which uh, there was nowhere to go but up. But when you know nine times out of ten where a guy is going to go, and you still can't stop him, I mean that is sort of the epitome of greatness. Like everybody knew what Jordan was going to do, and he still did it. Right? What Kobe was going to he was going to do that that spin around fadeaway. You can't stop it if you know what a guy is going to do, and you still can't stop it. I mean but so you throw your hands up and just say, Hey, good job, man. Hit him on the button, <laughs> go play offense.
1: Yeah, no, but it, it kind of goes back to that classic, you know, conundrum when you do have a superstar, you say, "All right, you're going to have yours make the rest of the team beat us. And without Chris Middleton, there's a, there's like serious doubt into that. And I know they won game one, but game two, Boston already showed, like they seem to make adjustments. They seem to be like, all right, you got the first punch in, but we came back swinging. And, you know, I, I think if Milwaukee had Chris Middleton, I'd be leaning towards bu- the boxes. The team that, you know, has been in this position before has all the firepower, knows exactly what to do when their backs against the wall. But, you know, with without Chris Middleton, it's it's like, all right, Giannis, you're going to have to be a superhero to really get this team, I think to the next round and beyond, especially if Chris Middleton can't come back.
0: Yeah, it's true. Who do you, who do you find to fill that void as number two? And I, I agree with you. I think with Chris Middleton out, Boston's going to end up, I, I think, eking it out. Um, and it's going to be a close series regardless, but Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, in the NBA, you really got to have two and three guys who can get you a bucket when you need to, right? If you're going to double somebody, even even though Giannis can handle a double team, uh, you're going to need two and three guys to step up every single series and really every single game. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. But I'll take the Celtics on that one. All right, let's move to the latest and greatest: Golden State Warriors, Memphis Grizzlies. Tons to get to in this series. I, I could just go for days, but. Let's start with what everybody's kind of talking about. Obviously, the flagrant foul from Draymond Green in, in Game One, the retaliation foul from Dylan Brooks in Game Two. Dylan Brooks suspended for Game Three, and now you've got you know Memphis beat writers being why uh, Jordan Poole came off the bench, he should be suspended because Jaron Jackson was suspended earlier in the year for doing that. That's bullshit. You can miss me with that one. Uh, trying to equate the flagrant from Draymond to the fr- flagrant from Dylan Brooks. Look. I'm going to kind of take a a different path. I don't necessarily mind the foul from Dylan Brooks. Um, Obviously the result of Gary Payton breaking his elbow, um, being out, that's, that's tough, especially for the fact that he was in the starting lineup to basically control John Morant from a defensive standpoint. Um, But I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, the result sucks, like I said, but look, Memphis is a young team. They, they have that sort of responsibility of being like this. they, They got to stand up against, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, and the champs, right? I mean, Golden State's been here time after time over the last five, six years. They are, I mean, call them the favorite if you want, I, whatever. I mean, Memphis is the higher seed, but I think a lot of people th- would favor Golden State. But from Memphis's standpoint, you have to, you have to say that you're not going to get pushed around. Um, and that's exactly what Dylan Brooks is doing. I mean, I, I do think the suspension was correct, but... As a Warriors fan, I can't hate what Dylan Brooks did because that's exactly what I would want my guy on my team to do if if the flagrant one happened against my team in Game One.
1: No, yeah, and and I think too, like I don't like what Dylan Brooks did just from like a standpoint of like, you know, you'd you'd hate to kind of like see a guy get clubbed across the head like that. Yeah, and, but I, I think it's a dirty play. Yeah, call yeah, it what it is. I think what, what really makes it seem dirtier and have more of an impact was the fact that he really did get significantly injured you know, if it was just a hard foul and he hits the ground hard and, and you know, he's shaken up, but he, he ends up still playing. Yeah, we're just talking about like the physicality in the series and how, you know, Memphis needed to, to show like we're not going to be pushed around by you guys. And like, even though you're the the Warriors, the dynastic team of the 2010s and looking to extend that with kind of a new core of guys and and we're the Grizzlies who are historically, you know, they're a new franchise. They've really never been in this position before. You know, we're not going to get pushed around. We're 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 like standing up to the bully just sucks that it ends with the guy breaking his elbow because yeah. you know we need to see how the series plays out. But if it turns out that golden state ends up, you know, kind of losing because of the, the lack of ability to guard the, the the guards, because Gary Payton's out, then you're seriously sitting there going, they lost the series because one of their players took our guy out in game two. And so it's kind of hard to make a final judgment on it because, you know, it's, 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 it sucks when your team loses because of just injuries and not because of the actual play that's on the court, and so it, it's gonna right. be it's gonna be real, and and you know you're gonna hear it for years if it's like the Warriors lost in 2022 because Dylan Brooks literally broke Gary Payton's elbow, like it's it's you know it's it's unavoidable even if in the moment the intent wasn't necessarily there, you know. So I, I think it's gonna we're gonna need to see the final result of the series, you know, the full like potential fallout of that move. So that's where you hate to see it because now we're suddenly inviting the potential controversy of like this series was swayed one another because of like a got one flagrant foul. So you hate to see that, but in the sense of like Memphis saying, we're not going to be pushed around. That's like our, not just our mentality. That's our identity. We're a tough minded team of all these young guys that have a chip on their shoulder that are saying like, yeah, we're Memphis for the team. No one takes seriously and we're we're not going to be pushed around. So there's a little bit of a yin and a yang there, but I think for me, it's like, let's see how this series plays out because if it ends up, that it really wasn't a factor that Gary Payton missed, then I think we're, we're looking at it much differently than if, you know, at the end of the, of the day, we're saying, wow, his injury ended up being a really significant factor in Memphis winning this."
0: Right. Uh, I do think it could be a significant factor. I mean, that, that is certainly something that could change the course of this series. And re- I mentioned it before, like Gary Payton was in the starting lineup for the sole purpose of controlling John Moran. There's nobody else on the, uh, on the Golden State Warriors side of the ball. You can point at Kaminga, but Marantz already made him look silly. I mean, Clay Thompson is one of the best defenders in the NBA, or at least he was before his injuries. So he's, he looks a little bit step slow. I mean, Gary Payton was that guy who was the jaw controller, right? So, I mean, th- this does have the, the potential to impact the series and the way it goes. And, yeah, that would, that would really suck. But, I mean, at least, you know, if you're going to find a silly at least it wasn't a foul on Curry. At least this didn't happen to, to Curry or Clay somebody like that. Right. I mean, then, then it would be even probably more of an outrage. Maybe you get two games from Dylan Brooks just because of the clout, right? Because the result does matter. Uh, it's not just the play, but look, this is what I love about playoff basketball, man. I mean, it, I say it a lot. It's just, it's the best talent in the world playing their hardest at the bet, like at the right time. Right. I mean, in the NBA, you got 82 games, you got stars sitting out, it's become an offensive league. You're just, you're basically just like, all right, wake me up in the fourth quarter if it's a 10 point game or less. Um, Otherwise, like, it's just kind of like, all right, whatever. It's just guys getting their buckets, Uh, but playoff basketball is different. And Memphis is taking that kind of mentality seriously, right? The grindhouse days, like they are still sort of holding on to that. I mean, they've got a lot of really tough guys. Desmond Bain, that's a dude who, I mean, I just thought was kind of going to be like an enforcer, but that guy can ball. I mean, he can, he can put the ball in the basket. So I give him a lot of credit for that. But, you know, again, like removing what actually happened in the result of that play, I can't fault Dylan Brooks for doing that because that's the kind of guy he is. That's the role he plays on that team. And that's playoff basketball, man. I mean, I love looking back. Talk about like the, the Jordan documentary. I mean, seeing those the, those fucking battles with the Pistons. I mean, it's just, it's like football. And I'm not necessarily saying that. Yeah, I want to see like playoffs go back to like 83, 78 scores. Cause that's just a slog. But yeah, phys- the physicality is on a different level. The defense is on a different level. And as a team like Memphis, who's young, uh, you just, you, you have to make that statement that you're not going to get pushed around. So, you know, leaving that aside, I think this series is going to be fantastic. Obviously tied one-to-one going back to golden state tomorrow, not tonight. Uh, thanks NBA, but it's interesting. Like I really, really, really like Memphis. I wish this didn't have to happen, but they're also just like, I hate this matchup for for many reasons. One, because I don't want to see Memphis lose because I like them, but if they're going to lose to anybody, I hope it's the warriors, but two like this is just it's a fun series and Memphis is probably I think even more so than Suns they're the worst they're the worst matchup it's left in the west for the Warriors they just are they won three out of four yes we were missing a combination of Curry uh, Draymond and-, and Clay Thompson in those games but Memphis is the worst matchup that we could have gotten and here we are so I mean this is going to be drag them out and call it six or seven games so it's 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 fun it's exciting it's playoff basketball this is what we play for and especially i mean things get testy you see, see the same team over a course of two weeks five six seven games i mean this is just inevitable so you gotta you gotta embrace it I hate the way it ended for gary payton but it, it is what it is and i'm excited to watch
1: yeah no i mean it's it's as someone who has no stake in the race i guess i'm rooting for golden state purely to make denver look a little better um, but i think we all know why they lost that series it was just never going to happen but it's just entertainment. It's just, it's, it's purely like, just, I just want to see this young, exciting player in John Morant with a fun team of like guys that like we said, aren't going to be pushed around. They're the a team that on paper, like shouldn't stack up to the team that, you know, won three championships in five years. And then on the, like, on the flip side, you have that team that won three championships in five years with new young, exciting players contributing to it. It's just, it's fun. and It's exciting. And it's, it's really fun to see, two teams that, you know, really weren't in it last year suddenly be right in the championship conversation this season. So as an NBA fan, it's just, it's entertaining, you know, with this series and the Boston Milwaukee series, it's just, let's see what storylines develop. Let's see what happens.
0: Yeah. John Moran is, is awesome. I, I I could not like hype him up enough. He's one of my favorite players. I think he's incredible. I hope, you know, with the way he plays that his career last 10 or 12 years, because I feel like a guy who just flies that high and hits the floor so hard is, is only destined to you know have a shorter career but i hope it's not because he's freaking awesome to watch my only my last question with regards to the series is we obviously mentioned sort of the testing this game one game two do you have any expectation that it's going to escalate because from from my standpoint i would say no uh despite what happened to gary payton i think the warriors are too smart that if you know they're going to send somebody like you bring in a Juan Toscano Anderson to take out John Moran or something. I, I just it's only gonna get worse from here if that continues to happen. But do you see that sort of testiness, maybe
1: some nasty play
0: continuing to escalate here in the
1: series? I think teams will they, they won't go into game three with the intent to specifically escalate. Maybe the moment takes over. But I think if the moment takes over, I think I mean, especially when you have personalities like Adraymond Green, like all the dudes on the Grizzlies, like all those dudes, entire team. That entire team is. Yeah, like, nasty. All it takes is one play, even if it's intentional or not, to suddenly you know turn this into something that's really interesting and engaging that has nothing to do with basketball because it's there's elbows flying, there's you know questionable you know oh was was that on accident was that on purpose, um, and you know I think that it's 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 gonna kind of keep you on edge, it's gonna keep things interesting at the very least. Yeah,
0: and and. and in a vacuum it's good for basketball it's good for fandom but it the one thing where it's not going to be good is if a star goes out if if jaw gets hurt if steph gets hurt clay gets hurt then it's just no fun for anybody so i i I hope that doesn't happen but i hope we still get a hard hard fought series and i think we're going to get that so let's flip over to a little nfl andrew the hangover has finally just subsided from the drafts um one of my favorite things of course of all time is the draft grades uh because all these talking heads want they you need content right you need to put content out you need to grade this that every team every move uh some head scratchers of course you know but (laughs) at the end of the day nobody none of these guys have taken the field in an nfl uniform yet so you have absolutely no idea what you're getting yes you can watch the college tape you can determine who the better players are but this whole like grading scenario and I love what these guys did. I love what these guys did. Hate what these guys did. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So, let's just let's let the guys get on the field first before we start talking about it. I know we got to fill content and there's a lot of lull here in May outside of the NBA and NHL playoffs, but come on dude. Just let's just well, cap it off a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I was literally, you took the words out of my mouth. It's just content filler. They just That's all we, it need, is. we need something in April and May to talk about with the nfl like that's that's purely it and so like you know and the thing is too is like when these teams draft they're all gonna say like we got our guys we got the exact guys we wanted because no yeah. team's gonna be like you know what uh, actually like we we really played the board terribly like we we really fucked up we hate all eight guys we drafted like we're screwed like yeah don't really hate these guys take that, take that opinion like it's all gonna be like no we we, we, we like a ton of guys we, we made all the moves because we like knew our guy was there and it's all subjective and like you said you can't even like really effectively grade, grade a, a draft class until like three years out. Yeah. So, like if we were really like logical about how we assess the draft, we should be sitting down and being like, all right, guys, 2018 draft. What are our grades? You know, oh, Sam Donald was terrible. Baker Mayfield's a disaster. Like yeah. that is really like, where you could be giving your opinion based off of like the actual things that we've seen in the NFL versus, you know, like, all right, let's all based off potential. The other thing too that was interesting about this draft for me is that it didn't really feel like there were the same personalities involved that really got you like hooked. I feel like last year there was all these quarterbacks that it was like who's going to take the quarterbacks? You had the trades up in the first round in the early part of the first round like with the 49ers, are they going to take Mac Jones? Are they going to take Trey Lance? I know there were a ton of trades this year, but it didn't feel like with the exception of the AJ Brown trade like there were any trades that really changed the face of the NFL that changed any of the power dynamics. I mean, obviously like, uh, DeAndre Hopkins getting suspended, it makes the Hollywood Brown trade a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. Clearly they were trying to fill that hole, but it just felt like all these teams were trading because teams viewed guys differently. And it it didn't quite, even though there was a lot of hecticness to it, it didn't quite feel like this. It was this big blockbuster draft, that we're going to be talking about five years from now, especially because the quarterbacks just like, didn't bring the interest level that you typically see in an nfl draft so and you know from my personal perspective like the broncos didn't have any really interesting going on with the drafts so why like wasn't plugged in so it, it just it was like it, it was one of those right i just felt like this draft sorry my volume's going up and down um uh, he started talking broncos and next thing you know he's on another decibel level just like god OK, well, no, no, I just, I'm just saying, like, i just uh, saying like I I didn't feel as invested in this draft. And I think that also it was because it was a draft that also wasn't as interesting as it usually is. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like
0: normally you hang a draft, uh, uh, you hang your hat on the quarterbacks. Right. And it's, it wants to everybody wants to talk about the quarterbacks, where are they going to go? And, you know, by and large, it seems like this is one of the worst quarterback drafts we've seen in a really long time. And certainly the draft played out that way, right? You got guys, Sam House living into the fifth round, a bunch of guys going in the third round. Um, you know, I, and you, just to go back to what we mentioned before, I mean, the, the grades are stupid. The only thing that's stupider about that, I actually don't, don't think it's a bad idea where you can't evaluate a draft for maybe two, three years. The only thing stupider than the grades right now is when a guy goes back three years and redrafts the draft. And like, so basically you're just saying like three years later, I'm also going to think about what that GM was thinking three years ago. And this is how it was going to work out. So that, I mean, you're going to get a lot of that content running pretty soon. And that that is fucking exhausting. That needs to stop, but it probably won't because it's content filler and we always need content. But yeah, with respect to the draft itself, I mean, yeah, you had like, Maybe the biggest sort of like needle mover was like Sauce Gardner, which I love, right? You know, out of of, uh, Cincinnati, he was great. He's got like the big chain that's dripping with the sauce. I love that guy. It's unfortunate that he ended up in New York uh, because that's where careers go to die. Look, I love Robert Sala. I hope he can turn it around with the draft that they had. They drafted some impressive guys. That's my opinion. Um, You know, Garrett Wilson is, I think, could be a star. and The kid from Florida State is also a really interesting draft pick. Um, but I mean, yeah, there there really was not a lot of storylines. And I mean, at that point, you kind of just you mentioned the Broncos, you you start to just focus on your team, right? I mean, and it was kind of a boring year for us, like for the 49ers. We obviously sort of mortgaged the future for the next first round for this year and next year, uh, for Trey Lance, and it was kind of like you know, uh, we got some interesting guys, but it's there's no like worse feeling where you're kind of like waiting not only like day one because we didn't have a pick on day one, but you're waiting like day two and like a couple hours into day two, like we're finally gonna pick and then it's like, wait, who's that guy? Like I, I pay a lot of attention to to college football and college sports in general, but like drafted a cornerback out of Kent State and an offensive lineman out of Fordham and you're just kind of like, who? I mean, you trust that the the GMs and the coaches are doing their due diligence. They know what they're doing. Uh, but you know, some people just fall in love with a guy and you're kind of like, I, I don't get it. But yeah, maybe they take the field and they're incredible. I don't know. But it it's it's one of those things where when there's not a lot of storylines going on at the draft, not a lot of trades, not a lot of big names, you start to focus on your own team. And I was just kind of like, I don't know what we're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the one moment that I, I think will stand the test of time, just you know is nothing to do with football, which is funny. Was a uh, you know the Patriots drafting Strange, and then my favorite yeah, Sean McVay being like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> they drafted him where?" Yeah, you you think they thought maybe he was going to be on the board for a few more rounds? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's just that that was so funny because it's like you know remember four years ago the Rams lose to the Pats in the Super Bowl and Sean McVay was basically bowing at the feet of Bill Belichick and he wins one Super Bowl and a couple years later he's basically mocking him and making yeah. no attempt to be like, "Oh yeah, no, we liked him and." you know he was just you know he's openly laughing and it's you know yeah. but say, hey man say, say
0: what you want but a, a lot of people said that about the patriots when they drafted steven duggar who's been great you know like a gunner olszewski like who the hell is that guy with the fucking blonde hair and he's i mean he's been good for what for what his role is so uh, i would certainly never second guess the hoodie even though i had no idea who that guy was out of chattanooga that they drafted
1: in the yeah, first no. round no less yeah i know and then there's you know how many uh strange uh you know puns can one make in the course of a of a draft review. It's just you know very strange, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no. As a whole, it was uh, one of those drafts where I feel like, you know, they were drumming up interest in the quarterbacks, working desperately to make you think, oh, no, there's potential that we might get like a couple teams to trade up and and get a quarterback in the first round. Then it was just the one guy, and then, you know, like you said, like we we had we had a guy at one point who was the number one ranked quarterback prospect last year, get drafted in the fifth round. It just, it was a weak quarterback class. And that happens every once in a while. Not every draft's going to be a home run for the NFL. And uh, yeah, no. So we'll just, we'll just see what happens. The next thing up is, is um, training camp.
0: Yeah, or well, well, if you're if you're talking about content filler, the next thing up, schedule release, the schedule release, that's going to be a huge evening because you know everybody wants to know the schedule. Like, not only that, like they've been like teasing it for the last like three weeks, and it's like scheduling a show just to say that we're gonna schedule, we're gonna release the schedule next week, and like. (laughs) listen, the, the NFL is one of the biggest businesses in the world. And, you know, if they want to dominate their offseason, season, that, they certainly seem to want to, and that's what they're doing. And people are eating it up. So it is what it is. But you mentioned the quarterbacks. Let's just touch on that really quickly. We're going to do exactly what we just said. We hated talking about grades, but I'm not going to ask you to grade the quarterbacks, but who landed in maybe the best spot for you?
1: You know, when it, when it happened in real time, I actually was, I was surprised because he had fallen so far. But I went, you know, Sam Howell is not in the worst situation. UNC. Because, UNC. No, no, but, but think about it. He's, Carson Wentz is the guy there. They just traded for him. He has been Car- nothing but Carson unwiseable. Wentz is not the guy. Let's, let's keep, it, keep it real here. That's what I'm saying. He's not the guy. <laughs> got it, got it, okay. And, and they, they got a fifth-round draft pick on a guy who's, like, he's going into a situation now where, like, he might end up getting some playing time this season. Whereas, you know, he could have been drafted by another team and it's clear he's second or third on the depth chart. And, you know, so I think he actually steps into it from his personal career. He's going to actually maybe have an opportunity from a fit. You know, Malik Willis is interesting. Obviously, there's the controversy right now with Ryan Tannehill. Um, basically, be like, oh, what do you mean I'm supposed to like groom the guy who's going to take my job in two years? Like, it's not really my responsibility. Like, I'm not going to be a dick to the guy, but it's also not my job to like train him. Um, and then, I think too, like it's like Matt Corral went to Carolina, which is interesting, but like that's kind of turning into a place where careers go to die for quarterbacks. So you don't love that. You know, same with Desmond Ritter to the Falcons. It's like, all right, even if this guy ends up being a starting caliber quarterback, like he's, they're not going to be good for a couple years. You know, Kenny Pickett seems like a guy like that. Like he, he seems like he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. He's just going to be solid. He's never going to be like a transcending player. So going to Pittsburgh, you kind of look at it and say, like maybe they can be competitive with him, especially because the Pittsburgh always seems to be competitive. They're super well coached. They have a good roster. So, you know, maybe like it's just, it's tough. Like we're sitting here doing a bunch of maybes. There doesn't seem to be any hot takes of like, you know, who's like really in a great position, who's really going to impact the NFL, say the way Mac Jones did this year, where he's suddenly the quarterback on a playoff team. There just doesn't really feel like a situation where that's the case. If if even if, if any of them even get to start this season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like what you did there too. I asked you to pick one quarterback in the best situation. You just named
1: all of them that got, I drafted. know I
0: gave you an answer.
1: Oh, I mean, don't forget about Skylar
0: Thompson. I mean, he might waves there in me, Miami and uh... I
1: gave you an answer. It was the first quarterback I talked about and then you're getting on my <laughs> well, case. I, I was
0: supposed to decipher like which of the six quarterbacks you're talking about that you like the most. That's, that's what we're doing now.
1: I literally, t- I said, Sam Howell. God, I made you. Me shit. And so I tried I to, whatever. I've missed you. That's
0: great. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you kind of hit on on everybody. Look I think that's maybe the interesting thing, right? Which I would absolutely love this just from a story standpoint is, you know, this draft that's supposed to be one of the worst for quarterbacks in decades, like now suddenly maybe you've got like four, four stars there because right every, every guy I think is going to get an opportunity and then there may be some surprises. I mean, certainly Sam Darnold's not holding down that job for very long in Carolina. So you got Matt Corral, who's got a chance to you know really make it interesting running what's essentially a college offense under Matt Rule. I mean, Kenny Pickett. There's nobody else really. It's not Mason Rudolph, I can tell you that. So that's going to be interesting. I mean, Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is probably better than Marcus Mariota right now, day one. He's just got to learn the playbook. Um, But for for my money, I, I think Malik Willis landed probably in the best spot. Again, you know, Ryan Tannehill, fresh off that absolute disaster of a game in the playoffs last year, where he just totally forgot what he was doing. Um, he's interesting. I mean, I, I watched a lot of Liberty games really specifically because they were on ESPN, they were playing a few sec teams. And I wanted to see what this Malik Willis guy was all about. And he's impressive. I mean, he see, it seems like every dropback back he, he does, he scrambles. So he needs to kind of figure out how to stay in the pocket. He's just always scrambling and that's not going to work out against edge rushers in the NFL. It's just not. Um, but I think he's in the best situation. I think he definitely could unseat uh, Ryan Tannehill probably not early on, maybe mid season if Tannehill struggles. And that's a team that may- you could call him rebuilding. Maybe I mean, getting rid of AJ Brown, but that's still a team that was, has been a playoff team in the last two years. They've still got a great defense. They've still got good playmakers, still got Derrick Henry. Um, I-, I, w- I cannot wait to see what Malik Willis does in Tennessee. And I hope he plays sooner rather than later because Tannehill bores me, but I guess we'll find out, but I I would just absolutely love it if like, it ends up being like four or five guys from this draft and quarterbacks are like five-year starters. Like it'd be great. Um, but let's finish up with this. So obviously from maybe one of the biggest stories of the drafts is, is all those wide receivers that were going off the board. And it's kind of, I love it because it's a distinct sort of response to what happened this off season where you got guys like Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, getting traded and getting bank, right. And Debo Samuel and, uh, McLaurin in Washington, those guys are still sort of in line for that. And they want to put that, you know, they want to, they want that to be the baseline in terms of what kind of money, money that they're making. But it seems like with the draft teams are saying, okay, well, guess what? Like we don't value receivers. You guys want to get paid 20, 25 million a year. We're just going to get rid of you and we're going to draft somebody. And we're going to pay 3 million a year. Uh, and so all these team, you know, all these teams drafting into wide receivers, I'm just curious from your standpoint, Andrew, do you think this is like, is this a direct sort of response to the big contracts or is this just, Hey man, there are a lot of good receivers in this draft. Like we find one, we're going to get one because at this point now it's almost like, you know, we talked in the NBA, you need one, two, three scores in the NFL. You need three, four, five receiving weapons
1: to have a good offense. No, it's a direct response. And I think you just need to see the teams that are trading for the the wide receivers and the teams that are trading them to see like, this is, this is a foolish thing to do. You know, any, any NFL guru should know, like you don't spend $20 million on a wide receiver so much of your cap and then be successful long-term. And all you need to look at is, is it's the chiefs, it's the Packers, it's the Titans who just have made the playoffs three of the last four years. Like they are the teams that are saying you're a transcendent talent and you've been a huge part of our success the last couple of years, but it would be foolish of us to allocate so much money to a position That you can stock up on very competent, quality wide receivers very easily. Yeah, thanks,
0: but don't let the door hit you on the way out. Look
1: at how many guys were drafted in the first couple rounds, especially like the the first round specifically where teams were trading up one pick after another to get wide receivers. Yeah. You know, if, if you're smart, you want to get good guys. Like, you definitely want to have talent there, but you can't look at it like at the quarterback where it's like, if we just have the one special guy that it's worth pouring all our money into, we're set. I mean, Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill, arguably two of the five best wide receivers in the NFL. They were like, "Yeah, don't let the door hit you on the way out." Like, see ya. And they kind of got draft compensation that you were like, I, they probably could have gotten even more, depending on the situation. And I think it's totally like when you look at the teams trading for them are just so desperate for quick, easy fixes to potentially bolster their roster. They're like, "Sure, we just we've never even like had a wide receiver." To like pair with with our guys to to really make this work, and so, you know, I think it's kind of like the Chiefs, the Packers, the Titans, kind of know what they're getting rid of, and they're saying like there's a reason we're not paying these guys this much money, and you know, I'm I'm sure for a little bit like the Miami situation is going to be interesting because it's Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you know, Philadelphia they have Devonte Smith and AJ Brown now, and obviously like the Raiders were already a prolific offense. You had Devonte Adams. Like there's there's going to be times where it looks like it was smart but I think it's one of those long-term decisions that you're going to say, why didn't we just get a guy in the second round that he could have developed and is on a cheap contract and then use that money to add talent to other parts of our roster. So, you know, I, I think it's just one of those, there's been, there's clearly been a movement the last couple of years to prioritize wide receiver because there is so much talent and you're seeing teams try to attack her in a couple of different ways. And all you need to look at is the teams that have been successful in the playoffs are operating one way the teams that are kind of on the periphery or have not been competitive competitive at all are the ones that are spending money kind of unwisely
0: yeah Miami's going to be really fast you guys forget if they can play defense but they're going to be really fast and forget if they have a quarterback who'd actually get those fast guys the ball but they're going to be fast and that's very exciting um so look it, I, I hear you from that standpoint. And it's, it's one of those funny things, right? Wide receiver has kind of long been that diva position and you just kind of put up with it. Cause it didn't seem like, it seemed like, you know, if you get a guy like who is really that transcendent, you have to keep him. You have to pay him whatever he's worth. And obviously the, the salaries over the last 10 years, they've grown and grown and grown, but it becomes that point where it's like, all right, like we're going to pay this diva 25 mil and it's going to hamper other positions. Right. It doesn't matter if you got one guy and, one of the things that kind of made me chuckle is I was looking at after, after day one of the draft, like the teams that were the three teams that were the latest to pick their first pick, which was like towards the end of the second round, Vegas, Miami and the Rams who clearly don't give a fuck about draft picks at all. But it's basically like, I mean, you are call it mortgaging your future if you want to, but I mean, yeah, like there are a lot of guys in the first 64 that that could help your team win. And instead you basically said, all right, we're going to take one guy, a Tyreek Hill, a Devontae Adams. Yes, those guys are great players. But you're basically just saying, all right, we're going to hang our hat on those guys and we're going to have holes at other positions. And, you know, we just don't care. Maybe it'll work out for them. Maybe it won't. But it just it seems pretty crazy because the level of talent at the wide receiver position, I don't think, has ever been better.
1: No. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll be proven wrong. Maybe it will be Tyreek Hill that turned the Dolphins into the Super Bowl champs. You, you just never know. But it yeah, just. Yeah, that, that's going to happen. I'm just saying there seems to be a clear, consistent, like one team, which is very competitive, is operating one way. The teams that haven't really been in the contention window are operating another way. And you're like, hmm, I wonder kind of what's the difference between these organizations?
0: Yeah, success and failure. That's that's it's really that simple. I mean, you look at the teams who make these stupid, crazy moves and they trade all kinds of picks for one guy who doesn't seem to work out. Those are the teams that you haven't seen in the playoffs for the last five, six years. Um, So it is what it is. But we're running out of time, Andrew. I want to hop over to the NHL playoffs really quickly. We're not going to break down any of the matchups because we're just not going to go there, but I'm a little scared to do this, but Andrew, but the Avalanche look awesome. What, what do you? What's your take? Avalanche in 16?
1: Uh, you know, my, my cocky, um, illogical, I'm just here to get uh, controversy brewing, but say abs in 16, baby, let's go. <laughs> and I definitely have sent that in a couple of group messages, but The realistic Avalanche fan in me has said two years in a row, we've been the best team. And they flopped, had a Packers-esque performance in the playoffs.
0: So are you guys due or is that
1: just called Colorado? I just I want to sit here and I want to feel bully
0: basketball. You guys just choke
1: in the playoffs. No, yeah, no, like seriously, that's become the reputation. I'll like own up to the fact that like I look at this team and I say, all the talent is there on paper. They have absolutely dominated Nashville who's a very good NHL team. And you don't look at any teams, especially in the Western conference and say, they shouldn't be able to match up with this team. But the realistic fan of me is saying this team hasn't shown though, that when they face adversity in the playoffs, that they can stand up to it. That's three straight years where they've had a second round exit. Two of which you're saying that's probably the best team in the NHL. And they just floundered in the second round again. So, you know, I felt this way last year, they swept St. Louis. And then they won the first two games against Vegas. I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, this team is just going to go right to the Stanley Cup. We'll see if Tampa Bay can handle them. And then they shit the bed and lost four straight to Vegas in pretty embarrassing fashion. So if there's any team that you want to maybe halt the brakes on just a little bit, it's this team, even though I'm liking what I've seen thus far.
0: Okay, fair enough. That's a fair enough take. I, I can respect that. Uh, certainly, we've got some MLB early season to get to, but we're going to get to that next time. We're running out of time, Andrew. We've just kind of been riffing. It's been good to be back. It's been a little while, but let's go straight to dudes and duds. Who's your
1: dude of the week? All right. So, to go back to hockey, uh, oh. so, so the game last night, Nashville to Colorado went to overtime. Oh, really thinking, oh, wow. This is like really a, a tight contested series. Colorado absolutely dominated that game, outshot Nashville almost twice as much. Nashville basically had like 15 shots in the last 45 minutes of the game. Just couldn't get nothing going. But the only reason that game was even close for a Nashville victory was Connor Ingram, their rookie goalie, made his first playoff start. He's the third string goalie for Nashville. First playoff start, fifth NHL game ever. Had 49 consecutive saves. Absolutely balled out. They were, there was highlight save after highlight save. And I'm sitting there going, the Avalanche might lose this game. And you just have to give all the credit in the world to this guy. He absolutely showed out and you you know, it was one of those where he's like, you have to tip your hat to the guy just absolutely an incredible playoff debut. And, you know, he's the only reason that game wasn't a six to one, you know, blowout. Like the, if you looked at the statistics, the box score should tell you it should have been. Yeah. Andrew,
0: I'll, I'll be honest with you, bud. Uh, I like the avalanche. I think they're fun. Their jerseys are cool. Nathan McKinnon is awesome. Uh, it's a real, real bad sign if you've got 50 plus shots in a game and you only score two on the third string goalie. So I'm just, uh, just gonna put that out there. It's you're in big trouble. <laughs> okay. i are mean, in big trouble. He literally had he had 50 consecutive saves. The third string goalie. You could you had 50 shots from the Avalanche and you couldn't get one past the third string goalie. And and that's your that's your uh, team to, to
1: sweep it through the playoffs. Well, d- dude, I literally just a minute ago said like I'm I'm pumping the brakes on their dominance, but I, I want they, if, if you looked at that box score, you would have thought, you know, okay, they, they probably won five to one, but it was a two, one game that went to overtime. It was, it was really fun to watch and literally it felt like Colorado was on a power play the whole game, the amount of time they possessed the puck, but this yeah. guy just, he single-handedly, you know, by himself, kind of kept Nashville in the game. So I'm trying to give credit where credit's due.
0: If I saw that box score, I'd be like, God damn, the Avalanche suck. They can't get one in, <laughs> but Hey, they won the game. So we'll, we'll see. All right. So my dude of the week had actually happened last night. Obviously, we all saw it. I was hoping we'd get to it earlier, but we didn't have time. Mets Phillies last night, seven to one Phillies going into the ninth inning. The Mets <laughs> score six runs in the ninth to beat Philly in Philadelphia, eight to seven. Previously, the Mets were 0-330 uh, going into that. So nice, nice win, way to break the streak. But my dude of the week is, I don't know if you guys saw the broadcast, but there was a Mets fan just absolutely loving every second of the ninth inning he had his rally cap on clearly probably a, a dozen maybe a baker's dozen beers deep uh philadelphia kept trying the, the security guard kept trying to hold him back he's like up against the fence just every run that the, that the Mets scored he's just he, that that rally cap is getting tighter and tighter and more inside out guy was absolutely living his life he probably hasn't gone to bed yet but look that's one of the greatest things about being a fan right especially in baseball i'm not necessarily a superstition guy but, I mean, when you put on that rally cap and your team comes back for the first time in 331 games in the ninth inning and you win against a division rival in that division rival's place, uh, yeah, you deserve, you deserve a nod, man. So, hey, Mets fan, good for you. Probably haven't slept yet, so go ahead and slam some electrolytes and some Advil and
1: you sleep all day tomorrow. You've earned it, man. Sleep all weekend. Screw it. All right, who's your dud? Well, I just got to say, it's an odd week in sports when the Mets are our dude of the week. I don't are here nor there. <laughs> yeah,
0: Mets fan. I'm not, I'm not going to give the Mets because you, you know what it is, right? Mets, I mean, Mets the Mets are, Mets are exciting. They've spent all this money. Stevie Cohen doesn't he just Mr. Moneybags, and they're going to inevitably collapse at the end of the year. It just, that's, that's all Mets, baby.
1: Still, Mets by association. My, my dud of the week, which it's kind of insane. We don't even get to talk about it this week, is the NIL situation, which it's, it's making the wild, wild west look tame. It's absolutely no oversight. No one has any clue what's going on. There's just slush funds. There's players just openly getting paid. There's no rules. It's like the little Caesars commercial where the guy takes his shirt up. and He's like, there's no rules. <laughs> That's the energy the entire nation. And it's getting to the point so bad that the NCAA is literally just like, we don't know what to do. So the Pac-12 commissioner and the SEC commissioner, and I'm sure the, the ACC and Big 12 guys are not far behind, are going to Congress to fix this. Like the NCAA is literally just not doing their one job. And so it's like Mark Ebert is stepping down. You know, he's like enough. I've botched this so terribly. Just get me away from what's going on. Like we're actively seeing the death of the NCAA right before our eyes. And and it's it's just it's like it's like watching the Titanic sink. It's like we've been complaining and complaining and complaining about it for so long, and it's finally just like shriveling away. You know what's bad when you're going to Congress is the competent entity to try to fix something. So the NCAA, it just it's it's like that meme where the guy's sitting in a room a burning room and he's like, This is fine. This is great. This you're is doing bad. great. <laughs> this is fine.
0: Yeah, classic Mark Emmert, right? He is speaking of the Titanic analogy, like he had a chance to be like one of those guys from the band who goes down with the ship, said he was like the fat guy jumping off the back who just gets like mince meated by the propeller. So Hey, hey, good riddance to you mark emmer you did absolutely nothing and you're going to do nothing in retirement whatever uh, all right my dad of the week god i wish we don't have to keep up bringing MLB, mlb umpires into this thing but i absolutely have to uh i don't know if you saw it a couple days ago diamondbacks game uh, mad bum was on the hill now everybody knows i think by now that there's if there's one guy you don't want to f with in major league baseball it's mad bum uh, well umpire Dan Bellino did the exact opposite of that he was checking his hand in between innings for the sticky stuff and you know if you're watching it live it's like okay and then they say something Bellino says something to Mad Bum, Mad Bum says something back and then Mad Bum is just inconsolable he's he's ready to rip Bellino's head off and I believe he probably would have if he didn't get held back by four guys but you re-watch the video and Bellino's checking Mad Bum's hand and he's not even looking at the hand he's literally just touching it like he's reading the guy's palm or something like some fucking psychic and just staring at Madbum, waiting for him to say something to him as soon as Madbum says something then it's all out and he throws him out of the game and then you got this whole hoop hoopla but look dambolino that's just weird creepy thing to be doing i, I mean like you're just looking for an altercation this by the way this is not the first time Bellino's done this a couple of years ago blue jays orioles there was a questionable call on Jose Bautista. And I, I don't know, if, I still remember this, but there's a video at the in between innings, uh, Bautista struck out, he's taken off his gloves, staring at Bellino, and Bellino's just staring back. I mean, look, there's a time and a place to be a tough guy. One of those is not an MLB umpire in the middle of an MLB game. Uh, I mean, you, you want to talk about guys who are Angel Hernandez, Joe West, uh, God rest his soul, of his career, he's still alive. Don't worry, but it won't be long. Um, there are bad umpires in the game. But Dambolino is just like an asshole. He's just like a dude who's like looking to fight players in the middle of the game that he's umpiring. And there's absolutely no room for it. You're just an idiot. You're a weirdo. You're a creep. And so I hope at some point Mad Bum gets a chance to find Dambolino in a back alley or something and he just rips his head off. That would be fantastic. That'd be good
1: news too. Yeah. These are the moments where you wish the uh, the umpire could go, you know, take a take a couple swings. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Catch catch one high and inside. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah,
0: right. uh, yeah, yeah, the classic old uh, hey, high and inside and the catcher just uh moves his <laughs> moves his yeah, gullible. Great, bit.
1: great. Next time uh Madison <laughs> Bubgunner is pitching against him, the catcher just falls down as the pitch comes by and so it just gets him right in like the stomach or something. Right in the throat. Just yeah, right in the fucking throat. throat. Just God just, would that be sweet. Um, wow. But uh yeah, no, it's not good when you know the umpire's names. Yeah,
0: no, no, it's not. You should never know their names. And now everybody knows Dambolino's name. And now everybody's going to be looking for him to do stupid shit like this throughout the year. So congratulations, Dambolino. And he made a lot of enemies uh, this week. So <sighs> I'm exhausted, Andrew. That's it. That's a full hour. That's May 6th, Friday, May 6th, 2022. We are back for season two. It's been great to see you, Andrew. A little banter. That ponytail has never been tighter. You look fantastic.
1: You have to. I mean, hey, I got to say even, even the walk-ons get an off-season in college sports. That's right. You know, Everybody's got to have an off-season. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we had to take it most of it, but it's going to be back, and I'm hopefully uh, we're turning these out more frequently like we were doing last year.
0: Absolutely. I feel like I'm what Luca should be doing this off-season. I came back slimmer, tanner, uh, somehow not in better shape because I was drinking way too many margaritas by the beach. But uh, either way, I feel good about being back. It's great to see you. Seamus is down there looking absolutely beautiful in his stubble as he always does it's the walk-ons podcast we're out the walk-on